Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. You're listening to The Jam Price Show, and my guest today is director Josh Caldwell, and we are um, going to be talking about his new, brand new film called Mending the Line, which is just a lovely, beautiful film, and I'm really looking forward to talking uh, to Josh about this. Welcome to the show, Josh. Thanks for having me. Excited to talk to you about it. Yes, I am too. So our audience knows, I always like to give them a, a, a brief synopsis of what the film's all about, so they'll know what we're talking about. Yeah, absolutely. So Mending the Line is the story of a Marine who's wounded in Afghanistan, and he's sent to a VA clinic in Montana, where he meets an older Vietnam vet who teaches him how to fly fish as a way of dealing with this trauma. And the film stars Brian Cox, Cinqua Walls, Wes Studi, Perry Matfeld, and Patricia Heaton. Great cast. Great cast. Yeah. It is a great cast. Yeah, yeah. It, it really is. You've attracted some wonderful people. I love Brian Cox and Cinqua Walls. Um, also, Perry Matfeld, I, I, you know, she's just pretty amazing in this film too so what inspired this film how did this film come about the film really started with Stephen Camillo our writer his dad was a veteran and served in Vietnam and he in the 2000s he actually came down with cancer as a result of his exposure to Agent Orange during Vietnam and Steve who was a fly fisherman he grew up fly fishing he had basically he had moved to Montana and he found himself sort of fly fishing through his grief and started to work on a story about veteran and and you know using sort of fly fishing as a form of therapy and came up with this this really beautiful script and then later found out that you know organizations like Wounded Warriors, Warriors of Quiet Waters, Project Healing Waters all were doing this for real and uh, he kind of you know used those organizations to shape the ultimate story. And so again, really started with him. He wrote a really beautiful film. He was living in Montana when he wrote it, so he wrote in, you know, a lot of the places that he knew well, in particular Paradise Valley, which is just south of Livingston and north of the entrance to Yellowstone, and just crafted a really, really beautiful script. And I got involved because our producer, Kelly McKendry, was reaching out to people, trying to get an understanding of what it's like to shoot in Montana. And my manager had produced a movie that took place in Montana, but did not shoot in Montana. And he told her that, but he said, what's the movie about? She told him. And he's a fly fisherman. He knows that I'm a fly fisherman and have had a lot of um, research being done in regards to PTSD in the military and all this stuff. And he asked if he could send the script to me. And she said yes. And she did. And I knew I wanted to do it and basically begged them to let me <laughs> let me direct it. How wonderful. Serendipity, right? That you're so you are also quite the fly, fly fisherman too, right? <laughs> I'm good enough. I can hold my own. I'm not the expert. But when Stephen was told about me, Kelly said, oh, and he's a fly fisherman, right? Kelly doesn't know that much about fly fishermen. She's like, oh, he's a fly fisherman. She so was like, yeah, right. Let's see if this guy can actually if he actually is. And he looked at my Instagram, which is primarily fish with some movie stuff thrown in. But he, he realized it was a legit. And I think that at the end of the day, my concern as just a, as a fan of fly fishing, that you were going to get some director that didn't know anything about it. And somehow it's just not going to... There's been a lot of portrayals of fly fishing beyond A River Runs Through It. And a mm-hmm. lot of it is just not done correctly. And I just felt like if you turn away the fly fishing crowd, they're not going to support your movie. If you don't get the military stuff right, they're not going to support your movie. And at the end of the day, what then are you left with? 
earth. So it was very important to us that we tell a, an authentic and an accurate story related to these two subjects. Well, it's beautiful. And ever since I did see A River Runs Through It years ago, I always was fascinated by fly fishing and thought, oh, I really would love to do that. It just looks like such a, well, it's an art form, but it just also just looks incredibly meditative and exactly a meditative and um, yes, just yes, serene and, and all of it. So yeah, I mean, that's why this is important to people who are suffering from PTSD, correct? To do something that takes their mind away from their yeah, other absolutely. experiences. The, yeah, the, pow- the power of fly fishing is really that it is a, to do it correctly, you have to be present. You have to be have an active, present state of mind to do it correctly because a lot of people are more familiar with spin fishing. Spin fishing is the typical fishing rod and you cast out a lure out into the lake and you sort of slowly reel it in, you're looking around and you're not paying attention or you're sitting in a chair. And not that there is an active fly, you know, spin fishing, but fly fishing, you have to step out into the river. You are stand, you know, pushing against the current. You are feeling that water push against you. You are trying to stay upright, you know, on slick rocks and, and all that kind of stuff. Then you're trying to cast your line, which instead of throwing a heavy lure tied to lightweight line, you're throwing a weightless fly that is uh, tied to a heavy line. So to do that correctly, it requires an, a certain way of casting. I'm um, in a certain timing. And then once you actually get the fly on the water, your drift, the the time during which the fly will float on the surface of the water may only be for like six inches. And then you got to pick it up and do it again. And so all of that requires a present state of mind and an active focus on what you are doing. And as a result, it is almost impossible. I won't say it's impossible, but it is almost impossible for you to think about anything else while you're on the river. And I think that's really where fly fishing has been such a therapeutic benefit to so many people dealing with trauma. And it's, it's not just um, veterans. It's, um, you know, cancer survivors. It's, you know, people that have experienced trauma unrelated to combat. And a lot of people, men and women, have found peace on the river. It's not a solution and it's not a cure, but it is a way of interrupting that trauma loop that occurs in your mind in order to allow other forms of therapy to come in and sort of work in a way that they might not if you cannot escape that trauma. It's quite the art form for sure. And you're right. It it does would take your mind away for a period of time when you do it. So let's talk about the characters in this because that's exactly what happens. Brian, let's talk about Brian Cox and his role in this film in Cinqua Walls and how they interact and how they came together. And then we'll talk about the casting of this film too. But let's talk about their relationship in the movie itself in Mending the Line. Yeah, well, absolutely. Well, Ike, played by Brian Cox, is is a Vietnam vet who kind of came back from that war like so many other Vietnam's vet, Vietnam vets and they were pushed aside and they were challenged and, and called baby killers and all that kind of stuff. And they came back to a society that really rejected them. In his case in particular, the result of that was the loss of his family, loss of his connection to his child and a desire to find isolation as much as he could. And, and in the script, we, he was originally from Ohio and he moved out to Montana at a later age and discovered fly fishing as this sport. And, you know, he's a heavy drinker. And basically, fly fishing allowed him to stop that, get sober, get better. But he is still suffering. Again, it's not a cure. And so I think when we meet Ike in the beginning of the film, he's experiencing, he wouldn't admit it, but he's experiencing that extreme isolation that he's imposed on himself and not letting anybody else into his life because he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to be hurt and he doesn't want to hurt them. And the only person that can get to him is his buddy, Harrison played by West Duty. Um, and then Coulter is our Marine, 
John Coulter, he's a lifer Marine. Like his intention was to be in the Marines until he either died as a result of it or retired. And he's now, because of this attack that happens to his group, he's wounded and he's removed from active duty. The challenge that you find with so many service members like that is that their identity is so linked with being a Marine, being in the Navy, being in the Army, that when they get stripped of that, when they're now this kind of in this nebulous in-between stage, it really is a loss of identity. And I think that's what Coulter's experiencing in the movie. And he's he wants to go back to combat. He will do anything to go back and be a Marine again. That's what he wants to do. And so fly fishing becomes a method by which he can get better and then go back to war, right? But obviously, come to find out that while he believes he's healed from his physical wounds, it's not the physical wounds that are keeping him from returning to the Marines. And I think that's been, that came out of so much of our research and talking to to real veterans and what their experience has been going through that that transition process. And so those two are sort of brought together by this uh, VA doctor played by Patricia Heaton, who sees a need in each of them for an alternate form of healing and brings them together. They sort of, uh, what's the word? They uh, oil and not water? accept each other. <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, it's oil yeah. and water, right? They, they tolerate, they yeah, tolerate they, each yeah. other. Yeah. But it, that's enough right. for an opening to which in which healing kind of starts to creep in. And so I think um, there's such an unlikely pairing, Brian and Sinqua, but you see them together and the way that they sort of their friendship evolves and their connection evolves in the film. And it just really, really works. And I think that that's something you can't ever fully know until you get on set and you start seeing the actors bringing these characters to life. Did you have a lot of prep time? Were you rehearsal time in this film or were you just thrown into it and had to start filming? We did not get a lot of prep time. It's an independent film. Unfortunately, independent films are constantly fighting budget and time. And we got some prep time with Brian ahead of filming for casting lessons (laughs) because that is a very technical aspect of the movie that we needed them to perform. And so we had a technical advisor, a gentleman named Simon Gosworth, who taught Brian to cast. And then just because of schedules, right? Like Brian was trying to finish Succession. Sinqua was filming Nanny out in New York. And and so we couldn't get them out until sort of a normal, a couple week, a week or two before we actually started shooting. So in that week or two, we had a huge amount of time to try and get them on the river, teach them to cast, show them a little bit of what it's about. And then I'm not really a rehearsal director. I like to, one, I almost never have time for it um, in indie space, but also I I don't know if I'd do it if I had it. What I like to do is have conversations with the actors, build those characters, sort of figure out how we want, how they want to play it. I let them bring a lot to it. And then really my job on set is just making sure that we're sort of, we're staying within the boundaries that we've created of who these characters are. And then within that, I, I let them play. I don't tend to give too much direction. They might dispute that, you know, as I talk about it, but <laughs> I try to stay, I try to not nitpick. I don't like nitpicking them. I really like, because they know these characters better to, than I do, right? Or they should. That's my, what I expect of them. I expect them to know these characters better than I will. And that way, when they're performing, there's no real wrong performance. Like some people would say, oh, you can't do that. That doesn't work. But that doesn't work for you as the director. That's different than whether that is what might work for the character. And so I like to sort of just bring everybody together and create an environment where like surprises can happen. And, and that's how, you know, I tend to run my sets. 
That's great. And, and obviously, everyone likes that kind of environment to work within, because uh, the proof is in the product. And it's a it's a beautiful film. It's a it really is. It's just a lovely film on all all levels. It's one that, you know, makes you laugh a little cry a little, you know, brings all the emotions into it. All but, the feels. Yeah, all the feels, right? which we love. That's why we go to the movies. <laughs> to feel i think so and i think like you know i think that we moved away from that mm-hmm. a lot of times and i think now people will highlight movies that make you feel as like cheesy or like contrived or whatever and there is that i agree but i don't think that you know a movie that makes you feel positive at the end of it is something to be um something to to avoid you know, I think we need more of that. I agree. Um, and and, yeah. and you have to do it right, you know, because I think that what we didn't want to do was suggest that, oh, Coulter found fly fishing and now his life is, you know, hunky-dory and like, you know, wrap it up with a nice little bow. I think we try to suggest that there is a evolution to this and there is a process to this. And he's only just getting started on his journey by the end of the film. And, um you know, that that was important to us because we didn't want to suggest in any way that now there's a cure and he doesn't have to, you know, worry about anything anymore. And I think that that is what takes it away from being uh, too, you know, too cheesy, too whatever, like contrived, you know. Right. And so I think that what I've seen, what's been really amazing for me, because we've been doing some of these screenings, early screenings, early previous screenings, and a lot of veterans have come and watched it. And I can tell you that, like, you know, to to be at these screenings afterwards and have veterans come up to you with tears in their eyes, um, you know, saying – saying thank you for for making a film that finally speaks to my experience um that hits you you know and that was certainly something we tried to do we tried to make a really honest accurate portrayal of this and we did it by collaborating with real veterans right real guys that have been through this and understanding what does that story look like and i think that's what is so powerful to me because i think like you know when people see the film the veterans get it like they get what we did in the film because they have lived it, you know, and what we tried to do was just put put on on film the smallest possible truth that we could, you know, um, because we can't fully you can't ever fully understand the whole scope of that thing. And so but as a result, um, I'm really proud of like the film and the way that, you know, we've had a lot of veterans and fly fishermen because fly fishermen get it. And if you don't really open yourself up to either, you're going to not really view the film with much you know, positivity, you're going to see it, you're going to, your cynicism is going to take over. And I think that that's unfortunate because, you know, what I've heard back from, from veterans groups, from fly fishing groups, from people that have gone through this is that this is a movie that finally speaks to that experience, not everybody's experience, but most of their experience. And I think that that's sort of the best that I could hope for, you know, that, that this is not a movie that is dismissed by them as another sort of Hollywood cash grab or something that's like not accurate to the, the experiences that they have had going through both active duty and the veterans process. And so, um, you know, I'm incredibly proud of that and I'm, I'm glad it's connecting with people and I'm glad it's connecting with people beyond veterans, Mm -hmm. right. Beyond fly fishermen. Mm -hmm. I think that we try to also make a movie that, that connected with people universally. And um, you know, like I've, I've said before, very few of us will ever understand what, 
you know, being in a combat situation is like, but all of us will and have experienced loss. And I think that's an important distinction. You know, you don't have to be in combat. You don't have to be in a firefight to have PTSD and or PTS. And, you know, you can be greatly impacted by even the smallest things in your life that you're not aware of. And so, you know, uh, this film, Fly Fishing, it just presents a path to a potential path to healing that I know so many other people have taken. And um, we're just happy that, that people seem to have a really positive response to the film. Oh, yes. And and obviously, I'm not a fly fisherman, and I'm not a veteran, but um, I, the movie touched me, too. And to go back to what we were talking about, I think so many people now really want films that are about hope. You know, we've, we get so many things right now. I mean, it just seems like the world is, I don't know, upside down. The world's really. on fire, you it know. Is. Yeah, exactly. And there's so much divisiveness, and there's so much, like, you know, hate. And, you know, we wanted to, I very intentionally wanted to make a film that went against that. You know, I wanted to make a film that was about coming together, about, you know, finding relationships in surprising places, about being a fish out of water, right, in an environment that you don't understand and yet being accepting of it. And just tell a really beautiful story. I really wanted to honor both the story that Stephen wrote. And the stories that so many veterans, you know, told me as we sat together on the banks of a river. And I think that, you know, that was my ultimate goal, which was to to just shepherd this this story to the screen, you know, more more so than me authoring it. Right. As a director, you tend to author these things. There's a very much this ego driven mentality about making your movie and all that kind of stuff. But on this one, I very much felt like a shepherd for not only the story that Stephen set out to write and wrote, but also the stories that I heard over and over and over again from so many veterans. You know, that's really their movie as opposed to mine. And I just tried not to mess it up. <laughs> just got out of the way and let it unfold. Yep. How, did you use exactly. a lot of. Um, Real veterans in this film? You know, we did. We, we tried to as much as we could. You know, I mean, as an independent film, you do as much as you can. You don't necessarily have total, you know, every option. But I know that like a lot of the uh, a lot of the background in the film were veterans. We tried to really open those doors and really try and get a lot of them in there. And I think most of them were. Um, Saul Martinez, who's the uh, double amputee that you see during the group scene. He's obviously a veteran. Um, and he came out and, you know, we talked about sort of being in this group scene, I just said, just tell your story. Like, I, what am I going to say to you? Like, just yeah. tell your story, right? Share with us in the way that you would in a group like this. Um, you know, Wes Studi is a veteran. Um, that's not why he was cast, but, yeah. you know, that's that's an aspect of that a lot of people actually don't know yeah. that Wes Studi was a, a veteran. Okay. And, um, you know, and then on the producing side, um, Scott McLeod, who's one of our producers, is a veteran, U.S. Army. And we all have some kind of connection. My, you know, my grandfather was a U.S. Navy pilot. Uh, Kelly McKendry's dad was in the U.S. She was a you know an army brat, and her, her dad was stationed at West Point. Um, Stephen Camillo's dad, Pat, you know, was in Vietnam, and so you find that there's a lot of connections to the military, even if it's not direct. Um, that definitely impacted everybody's involvement in this film, and so I'm pretty sure there might have been a couple of veterans on the crew as well. I'm not 100 percent on that, but I think that for us, we tried to open that door as much as we could and and include them because why not? You know, there's just a an aspect to them that is not fakeable, mm-hmm. you know, with right. what they've gone through. And I think that that added a legitimacy to the story that we were telling. 
Yeah, I think so too. I did not know West Duty was a, a veteran, but I want to talk about West Duty because I just absolutely adore him and he's wonderful in this film. So how did you, uh, attra- actually, how did you attract all of these wonderful actors to this film? But I, I've always, I always love watching him when whatever he's in. There's something about I know. him that's just. I know. Well, it starts with having a great casting director. Yeah, yes. Which too often any films don't have anymore. You know, mm-hmm. um, and so we had a great casting director, Neely Eisenstein, who, you know, going out, we talked about who who would work for this. And I think one of the great things about the way we were able to financially structure the film was we were not reliant on we could go after the best actors, right? The the, the best actors that worked creatively, which is not always the case in indie film, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. because of the way that movies, indie films get financed, which right. is unfortunate. Right. But we were in a position where we didn't have to worry about that. So we could go after who we thought would be the best for these roles. And and Neely was a big part of that. Um, you know, she I believe came to us with with Brian as an option. And of course we were all like, Do you think yeah. that, that's actually possible? Yeah. Do you think we can yeah. get them? And it turns out that was true. And, and Sinquois was somebody that I believe got pitched to us through his agency. And, you know, I had, uh, uh, you know, ended up looking at his work and thought he was really fantastic and ended up having a phone call with him, which was like great. And I could see in, in that conversation how great he would be for this role. Um, same with Perry. Perry was suggested by our casting director. And um, Patricia as well. Patricia really wanted, she'd heard about the movie actually, I think, and really wanted to do it. Patricia and then Heaton, with West, just so West, everybody knows. Patricia West, Heaton we're talking about. <laughs> yeah, Patricia <laughs> Heaton, sorry. Yes. Um, and with Wes, Wes was great because, so I had, obviously I'm a huge fan of Wes's. Mm-hmm. I mean, Last of the Bohicans, Heat, like, you know, Hostiles, like uh, everything he's been in has been so good. Yes. And he himself is so good in it. And I remember we were trying to think of options for Harrison, right? And we were going through the regular list of people. And I had remembered in a review that I read years ago, um, it was pointed out that West Duty had done the voices of one of the counselors in Seoul, which I don't know if a lot of people knew that. He, you know, up in the heaven area, he played one of the counselors. And in the review, the reviewer goes, movies need more West Duty. And I was like, yes, you're right. Like movies definitely need more West duty. And so that just stuck with me. And then when we were trying to think of who might work well as the role of Harrison, I kind of remember that and threw out, what about West duty? And everybody immediately latched onto the idea, loved the idea of that. And fortunately he was willing to come on and, and do the film and, and added so much to it. Oh. I mean, every, all the cast members brought such a unique perspective and, and so much to their roles. And I think that's why you're seeing such a fantastic response, especially the casting. Like, you know, they all showed up and they all mm-hmm. did the work and they all performed, you know, so well and they took on very complex roles that are not easy mm-hmm. and just did a fantastic job i mean so much of my job was just trying just getting to sit on set and watch them perform i i could have done that you know all day long yeah, wonderful oh well it's a beautiful film it's it's the whole cast is is wonderful uh where can people see mending the line josh so we're so excited because mending the line is going to be out in theaters exclusively um starting june 9th yeah. And it'll play for at least a couple of weeks um, throughout the country. Uh, you know, it's not in every theater, but it's in almost it's in pretty much every state 
in every major city. Um, and I believe starting, I believe now, since it's the week of the release, you can go online, search for it. If you Google Blue Fox Entertainment, uh, Mending the Line, it'll take you to our distributors page for that, uh, for the film, where you can search by zip code and find out where the nearest theater is that's playing it. So we really want to encourage people to get out and see it in the theater. You know, independent move, movies right now are struggling, and um, unfortunately, but I think that the more people support independent film in a theatrical setting, the more independent films that are going to get made. And I think that this movie is a testament to the kinds of films that can get made and wouldn't normally get made under, you know, the system as it kind of currently exists. And so um, beyond that, it's like you said, it's a beautiful film. We really think people are going to connect to it. Um, And it's, you know, go see the, the vistas of Montana on a big screen, you know, um, instead of on your TV. Exactly. Well, that's what this show is all about. Focusing a spotlight on independent film and documentaries. Thank you so much, Josh. I wish you great success with this movie. I look forward to having you back on the show with your next wonderful film. Thank you. Thank you so much. We appreciate your support. You're welcome. Thank you. To all my wonderful, loyal listeners, your love of film allows me to do what I do. If you want to support me, the best way to do that is to hit the subscribe button on the iHeart Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. And of course, on YouTube. Subscribing matters. If you are feeling really compelled, I want to hear from you. Have a burning question, comment, or review? Drop me an email at thejampriceshow.com. Thank you for listening. Jan Price talks to the movers and shakers in the film business. The Jan Price Show, all about movies. 